We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, last week we talked about verse 12. And I, I want to bring out, we're going to pick back up 13 and finish the chapter today, but one more thing I want to bring out from verse 12. And I meant to do it last week, and I'm bad to not write things down, and then I forget, and then I, after classes I think all the things I should have said. Uh, but we talked about the fact that Paul told Timothy, don't let people despise you because you are a younger man. And we said, uh, more than likely, Timothy's, uh, Timothy's in his mid-30s. But he says, don't let people despise you because of that. And, and we said, sometimes people, they have a standard that's set for the man that's in the pulpit. And we said, sometimes we set a standard, a man gets up there and we think he's not educated enough, he's too young, whatever it may be, so therefore we don't listen to him. But what I wanted to do was go to the opposite end of that spectrum. Sometimes we get a man that stands up and presents a lesson, and we think because of the education that he has, because of his age, because of whatever it is, we automatically sometimes want to listen and believe everything that he says. And I'll give you an example. I've got a friend of mine, and he's in the same position I am. He's an associate at a congregation. I went and heard him in a gospel meeting. Uh, last month or month before, and he told a story. His preacher, just like our preacher here, is very educated, very intelligent, and he said he was at services one day, and his preacher stood up and began to preach a lesson. And he says as he began to preach, he thought, I don't agree with that. He's wrong in what he was saying. And the preacher went on and on. He kept saying, man, I just cannot, I cannot agree with this. He's got to be wrong. And he said the longer he preached, the more you thought, he wouldn't teach something that's wrong. And maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. He said by the end, of, toward the end of a lesson, he had decided, well, he's right, I've just been wrong all of my life. And he said about that time, the preacher said, now everything I said is wrong and I want to tell you why it's wrong. You see the point? Sometimes we discount someone because we think they maybe shouldn't be up there, but other times... We want to listen to anything and everything somebody says because of their pedigree, because of their age and experience. And here's what the point is. It doesn't matter who's up there. The point is your job as a Christian is to make sure what they're saying is right because you've got the book in your lap. You go and you test it. And again, don't hold somebody to a standard and don't think either way, good or bad, because of who the person might be. Check them with the Bible, and, and then go by that. Your salvation is in your hands. We need to remember that. There's too many people in the religious world that simply listen to whatever is said from the pulpit, and they base everything they do, believe, practice, based upon whoever says it, and they never bother to check it. And I don't care who's up there. Always check it. Always check it. And I think Paul would have Timothy to know that. I think he would have us to know that. All right, verse 13. He says, Till I come, give attendance, uh, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Till I come, verse 13. The Apostle Paul, he had a plan. 
He had a plan to come and to be with Timothy. We don't know if that ever got to happen, if, if you ever got to be there. But here's the thing. I, I plan to come and see you, but if that doesn't happen, or if until it does happen, he said, there's some things that I want you to give attention to. Give attention means to be concerned about, to occupy oneself with. It also carries with it an element of caution. He said, there's some things that you've got to watch. There's some things you've got to be on guard about. There's some things that I am entrusting you with that you've got to make sure gets done. You know, I may be there, I may not be there, but I'm entrusting you to do this. He says, the first thing I want to entrust you to do is he says, I want you to make sure that people are reading. Reading. Think about that just for a second. Why would he tell him, Timothy, you need to make sure that people are reading? Well, I want you to think back, and we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 8 here in just a second. You can be turning there. But think back during this time period and, and compare it to us today. Right now, we're collecting gently used Bibles, and I have every intention to go home, and I've got stacks of stuff at home, Bibles, and, and, you, know, and you often wonder, what are you going to do with all of them, right? We've got so many, and well, we've got a chance to give some away that we don't need. But think about back during this time. How many people do you think had a Bible? Very, very few people. In fact, during this time period, there was probably only just a couple of the New Testament letters that were in circulation. And very, very few people had Old Testament scrolls that they could take home. So what happened? Well, during this time period, you had the people would gather together and somebody would stand up and they would read publicly. And that's how the people got their knowledge. They would have to go to the place and they would have to sit and listen to someone read. Now, what if we did that today? What if next Sunday we just come together and we just decide that, that you know, when it's time for Don to get up, he's just going to read for 30 minutes. What's going to happen? Some of you is going to get a good nap in, right? I'll be honest, that's probably what's going to happen because we get bored, don't we? we get, I just told you guys I've been bored to death sitting at home. We get bored very easily. We like to be entertained. We like visuals. That's why PowerPoint is so popular. We like, you know, excitement. We like you know, all of these other things. But I want us to go to Nehemiah chapter 8, if you would. And I want us, and this is a familiar passage, but, but I want us to, to let it resonate with us. Nehemiah chapter 8, it says, When the seventh month came, now I want you to remember the children of Israel, or the Judah, uh, southern tribe of Judah, they've been in captivity for 70 years, and, and they've come back, they're working on the wall, they're trying to rebuild a city, they're doing all of these things, and they have a, a desire within them to turn back to things of God. They've learned their lesson at least for a little while. And they've got a desire, and here's what happened. It says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, then he read it 
He read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Think about that. He read from the Old Testament Scriptures from early in the morning until midday. Before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now I just said if we came together and for 30 minutes we read, half of us would be asleep, right? What's the difference? What's the difference? Fair question we've got to ask. It's a, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. It says, So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood, and I'm going to skip the rest of that verse because I can't pronounce it. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, when he opened the Bible... All the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7 talks about, again, a group of names. It says, The Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense. In other words, they explained. They made application. They helped them to understand the reading. It says, And when Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the law of God. They realized they'd done a lot of things that weren't right. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send the portions for those to whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared unto them. I don't know about you, but that's a beautiful passage of Scripture. The people had that much respect for God. And they gained that much respect for God because they had fallen on hard times. And sometimes hard times makes us appreciate what God has done for us all the more. And I promise you it does. And those of you that have fallen on hard times, it makes you appreciate all the things God has done for you more, all the words that He has given you. We could go and we can read in chapter 9 and and the Bible says they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. This was a continual thing. And go back to 1 Timothy 4. Paul told Timothy, until I come, you've got to give attention to reading. You've got to give attention to reading. Reading is so important. It's something that, that we need to do ourselves. It is how we learn. It's how we learn. How do you think I prepared for this lesson today? I didn't just sit there in my recliner and kick back and wait for the Holy Spirit to reveal it to me like a lot of people claim, and they stand up and they don't have anything to say. You've got to read. You've got to study. You've got to get in the book and, and, and try to pull things out of it. Why do we read to our children? Any of you read to your children? Yeah. You're going to buy books, you know, biblical books with, with biblical stories that, that are made for those children, and you want to read to them. Why? Because they can remember because they learn, 
Reading is something that we need to focus on a little bit more. Also, I think within this, Paul is telling Timothy, also, you've got to monitor what is being read. You know, you think Timothy did all the reading in every uh, religious scenario that happened during this time period? Probably not. Probably not. So there were other people that were reading, but yet Paul has entrusted Timothy to take care of these things, to oversee these things. And what about elders here? We've got six elders here. Do elders need to monitor what's being read in these classrooms? Do elders need to monitor what kind of material is being used within this congregation? Do elders need to monitor what translations of the Bible is being read publicly from this congregation? You better believe it. All of that ties right in right here. You know, there's a lot of translations of the Bible and, and not all of them are good. So we've got to monitor that and make sure that, that we're, we are using ones that are sound. We've got to monitor material because, listen, just because somebody was a faithful uh, Christian, faithful writer at one point in their life does not mean they stay that way all of their life. So and I know a lot of members of the church that were writers and wrote material, but then they went you know, way out in left field, they changed their beliefs, they changed their writings, and you've got to stay on top of that. We've got to give attention to reading. It's important. The words in your Bible, that is how we get from here to heaven. Right? It's how we get from here to heaven. The words is how, it's what's going to judge us, all of these things, so it's very, very important that we focus on the reading of the Bible. That's why we do daily Bible reading, uh, read your Bible a year, all of those different things. All right. Number two, he says, give attention to exhortation. The word exhortation means encouragement or admonition. Admonition. It can mean to, to console or to comfort. It, it simply means I am trying to help you be what you need to be. What good is reading the Bible if we don't implement it into our lives. You ever thought about that? What good is having biblical knowledge if we can't make practical application? You know, you can stand up and you can present a, a marvelous lesson from the Word of God. You can quote a lot of Scriptures, but if you don't make it to where it can apply to people's lives, you know what happens? It just goes right over the head, right? and it doesn't find lodging in a good and honest heart. You see, the Bible tells us, James 1 verse 22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Exhortation would take the reading of the Bible and it would attempt to make that make sense to the people. You see, when Ezra was standing up and reading, it says not only did he read, but he gave the sense of it. He helped them to understand, yes, this is what it says. And, and sometimes understanding the Bible can be difficult at times. And sometimes we've got to take and we've got to piece it together with other passages of Scripture to, to help it to make sense to us. And, and that's the job of someone that's up front and, and teaching. And most definitely, that is the job of Timothy. You know, Christians need exhortation. What do you think about our lives? We face temptations, don't we? Everybody in here, you are constantly facing temptation. You are constantly facing disappointments in life. 
You're constantly facing discouragement in life. You're constantly facing all of these trials and just difficult things. And, and we can take the Word of God and we can use that to help in every situation. If you're facing a temptation, you realize there's always a Scripture in there to help you to overcome that temptation. There's always one in there. If you are going through a time that you are very discouraged, you realize there's somebody in there that's been through the same thing that you've been through. And we can take that book and we can, we can apply it to that point in your life. If you're going through a point in your life that you are struggling with your faith and you are you know, teetering on the fence of falling away, you know, exhortation would also go along to warn somebody. Maybe even warn somebody sharply. You don't go down that road. you got to get back over here and stay in the middle of the road. And you see, we use the reading of the Bible to help to accomplish all of these things that we need so desperately in our life. He says we give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Doctrine, I like what Wayne Jackson said. He said it puts meat on spiritual bones. That's what it does to people. It puts the meat on the bones for the people. It helps people to understand, to, to realize what is right and what is wrong. I read an article several years ago, Steve Higginbotham wrote. And the article was about if he had one word to describe what he intended to accomplish in his preaching, that word was magnification. Magnification. What does he mean by that? He wanted to magnify the Bible like you do with a magnifying glass so you can see it more clearly. He said, my job as a preacher in one word is I won't be people to be able to see more clearly what God would have them to see. And I would say that would be what my goal would be too, is to make people understand. I want to help people to have a, a deeper Bible knowledge. Sometimes our Bible knowledge, sometimes the doctrine that we have contained within us is, is far too shallow. This program we're going to be in tonight, it's, it's designed to help that. But what happens when when we are too shallow, what happens? Well, Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8, Jesus taught a parable. The parable of the sower, a parable of the souls, whatever you want to call it. But went out to sow, some fell by the wayside. Okay, the birds come and gobbled it up. Second, some fell on stony ground. What happened? Took root, but there wasn't enough dirt. It was too shallow. And what happened? Withered away. What happens when our biblical knowledge, what we have contained within us is too shallow? Satan comes along, right? And we're carried away with every wind of doctrine, the Bible calls it. We're easily pulled away. We have no depth. We have no you know, roots. And that's the job of the is to try to give you roots. And sometimes, you know, you think, man, you spend a lot of time and you, you know, me, I did one verse last week. I'm only going to do three this week. But I, I do that because I want you to understand it. I want you to, to gain that biblical knowledge. I want you to, to put it in your heart and I want you to use it in your life. And that's it. I want to magnify it so you can understand it and it will help you uh, to grow. All right. Verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with a laying on the hands of the eldership. This verse has been um, 
given rise to a lot of controversy with a lot of people. When we read this verse and it talks about Timothy had a gift and, and the elders laid their hands upon him and it seems to say that this gift that he had was passed on from the eldership, but yet you say apostles were the only one that could pass this gift on. And well, how do you harmonize all of that? How do you make it make sense? Number one, what was Timothy's gift? I'll wait because you don't know and I don't know either. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us. And if the Bible doesn't tell us what something is, we're really left to speculate, but speculation does absolutely no good because if I can't pinpoint it, I don't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible lists nine different spiritual gifts that people had. Some had miraculous faith, some had miraculous knowledge, some could miraculously speak in tongues, some could heal, some, they could do a lot of different things. And I have absolutely no doubt that Timothy possessed one of those gifts. When did he get that gift? Right here doesn't tell us. But if you'll flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God that is within you that you receive through the laying on of whose hands? My hands, he says. He received the gift just like everybody else that received the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. He received it through the hands of an apostle. The apostle Paul laid his hands upon him. Timothy received whatever gift that this was. All right? So we've got that part. He received the gift through the laying on the hands of Paul. What about the part where it says, with the hands of the eldership? Well, what does that mean? Could Paul have laid his hands upon Timothy, imparting a spiritual gift, and the eldership have been there and also laid their hands upon him for a totally different purpose at the same time? Yeah. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are going to depart on a missionary journey. And what happens before they depart? Well, you can go read the first three verses there. And the Bible says that the elders uh, there at that location, they came together and they laid their hands upon Paul and Barnabas and they sent them off on that missionary journey. What was the point of, of laying on of hands of people during this time period? It was to bid somebody's Godspeed. It was to send them on their journey. It was to appoint them for some very specific business. So when Paul imparted the spiritual gift unto Timothy, isn't it possible the elders were there too? They laid their hands upon him and they sent him out to do the work that he was going to do? That's very possible. You see, laying on the hands uh, on somebody to prove that it is to appoint somebody, Paul even tells Timothy this, and skip over to chapter 5. In verse 22, he says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. What's Paul telling Timothy here? He says, Don't appoint someone to special business in a hasty matter. Don't lay your hands upon them and send them out to do something unless you are sure that they're the person for the job. Don't do that hastily. So you see, the point was you laid hands on somebody, you sent them out to do something. I want you to notice in your Bible, it says that it was with the laying on the hands of the eldership. With is a word that accompanies something. So when Paul laid his hands on it, the elders did it at the same time with Paul, and they appointed him for this mission. 
It says the gift that it was in you, it was given to you by prophecy. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul told Timothy there that it was prophesied that he was going to be who he is. Exactly how did that happen? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Is it possible that, that through God's intervention through an apostle uh, that it was foretold that Timothy was going to be a great gospel preacher, that he was going to convert a lot of people, that he was going to be a man of God? Probably so. But the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what the prophecy was. But the gift was prophesied that he was going to get it. It was coming to him. All right, let's bring another point back into this. He tells him the very beginning of the verse, he says, don't neglect the gift that is within you. Don't neglect the gift. Why would he have to tell him that? Is he saying that Timothy has been neglecting it? No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He's encouraging him, as you grow through life, don't ever neglect this gift that you've been giving. Keep on keeping on. And I believe that's true because of what he says in verse 15 and 16. But Timothy had been endowed with something directly from God. But yet, even though he had something directly from God, he still had a part to play in that. That's interesting to me. God endowed him with something through the laying on the hands of Paul that enabled him to do all of these wonderful things, but yet the ball was still in his court. He could still neglect to do it. He could still walk away. He could choose not to be the man of God. And Paul had to warn him, Timothy, don't do that. Timothy, don't do that. And if Paul had to warn Timothy, a man endowed with some miraculous gift, to not neglect what he had, what about you and I? Have we been given gifts? Yeah. Not miraculous, but have we been given gifts? Yeah. Do we sometimes neglect those things? Yeah. Sometimes we do. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Well, let's go ahead and talk about it now. What about if we don't use the things that God has given us? What happens? Take them away. The parable of the talents. One man got five, one got two, one got one. First two used them, the third one didn't. What happened? That wicked, lazy servant. God says, taking it from you. That, that's kind of that's scary to me. Because there's been times in my life that I've wanted to stop doing what I'm doing. You know, you kind of get fed up, you kind of get tired of it, and whatever it is, and, and you just kind of want to quit doing it. And but then you think, if I don't do what God has enabled me to do, what happens? I'm in trouble. If Timothy didn't do what God had enabled him to do, what happened? He was in trouble. And that doesn't just apply to preachers. Look around this room. Every one of you have been enabled to do something. If you don't do what God's enabled you to do, you're in trouble. You're in trouble not with me. You're in trouble with Him, though. You don't want to do that. Don't neglect the gift that is within you. You go to Romans chapter 12 and we've looked at that and you begin to read and all of those things that people weren't able to do. They're miraculous things. Some people can give. Some people can lead. Some people can show mercy. Some people can do all of these things and teach. Those are not miraculous things. Those are just things. And everybody has one of those things. Don't neglect the gift that is within you. It was given to you by God for His purpose. And so therefore take and use it. He goes on to say, 
Verse 15. Meditate on these things. Meditate. Focus. I heard Brother B.J. Clark one time preach a lesson, and the title of the lesson was, The Main Thing is to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. You ever heard that before? The main thing in your life is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's exactly what he's saying. Focus on it. Make it the, the center of your existence. And you say, well, that's talking about the preacher. I'm going to tell you something. It's talking about every one of us. You just apply it to the preacher, you're missing the point. Missing the point. God expects all of us uh, to do this very thing. It says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Entirely. What was it Jesus told people that wanted to follow him? Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whosoever desires to lose his life, well, he'll find it, right? He said, Matthew 6, 24, he says, you can't serve two masters. Can't do that. You either cling to the one and despise the other, love the one and hate the other. Can't do that. You've got to pick one. And when you pick that one, you've got to give yourself entirely to that one. Can't be a fence straddler. You can't be somebody that, you know, is wishy-washy. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, you've got to keep the main thing in your life, the main thing. You've got to give yourself wholly to God. And in doing so, your progress will be evident to all. What is he saying? Timothy, if you'll do this, everybody will put you on a pedestal, and man, they will think you're the grandest thing in the world. That's not true. Not everybody's going to think that. But, but, is our spiritual maturity evident to other people? Think about that for a minute. Is our spiritual maturity evident to people around us? I had somebody tell me the other day, I went back to at where I'm from and spoke, and they said, boy, you've got a lot better. I said, well, when you start at the bottom, I said, there's only one way to go. So, okay, it got better than it was way back then. I, I sure hope so. What about you as a Christian? Do people notice that you're a more faithful Christian than maybe you were five years ago, ten years ago? I would hope so. If people can't see in your life growth, then what does that mean? One of two things. If people can't see growth in our life, you're either going in the wrong direction or you're stagnant. Anybody ever seen an old stagnant pond on a farm somewhere? How many of you want to jump in that and go swimming? You know, get your dipper down there and get you a drink of water. You want to do that? Something that's stagnant is repulsive, isn't it? Isn't that what God says about a Christian that's lukewarm in Revelation chapter 3? If we're a person that's just sailing on through and there's no growth, there's no progress, there's no learning, there's no depth that is gained, what happens? You're not going to help anybody else. If people see us as somebody that, that is never maturing and growing, you think they're going to look to us for spiritual guidance? Consider this, Paul, Paul is telling Timothy these things because the point that Timothy is, that he's entrusting him with is you're, you're bringing people to Christ. You're making sure things are done right. You know, you've you got all of this important job. If people don't see that you're growing, that you're progressing in this, you're not going to be successful. 
You're not going to do any good. People are not going to want to be like you. They're not going to want to listen to you. And that goes for all of us. People should be able to see a change in our life. Being a Christian is hard. If I am not a more faithful Christian now than I was the day I obeyed the gospel, I've I, I got a problem. And you've got a problem. As we get older, we should be more mature. We should be more grounded. We should be more wise. We should be more able to overcome temptation and, and, and things in our life should be better when it comes to our Christianity. And if not, well, we're in trouble. He says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Take heed to yourself. Why is he telling that? Again, go back to what we're talking about. Timothy, if you don't have yourself together, you're not going to convert anybody. You can't go act like a heathen and ask somebody to come to church with you. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And then be ready to give an answer to everyone ask the reason of the hope that is within you. First, take care of your own self. and You make sure that you're a Christian. Second, then you can convert other people. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, I buffet my body daily. Why? Lest I myself should be a castaway. He says, I've got to take care of myself because if I allow myself to fall away, who in the world am I going to convert? Romans chapter 2 you could go there and we don't have time. Beginning in verse 17 and, and it talks about a Christian. He's talking about somebody under the Jewish law, but he's comparing it to Christians. He says, you tell people thou shalt not steal, but yet you steal. You tell people thou shalt not commit adultery, but you commit adultery. He says, what good are you doing for anybody? You're telling them to do something that you're guilty of. So Paul, tell Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, take care of yourself. Take care of the doctrine. Take care of the doctrine. Timothy, you've been miraculously endowed. You have learned the Scriptures from a child. Your mother and your grandmother taught you that. But you've got to take heed to that. Take heed that you don't change your understanding of the Scriptures. Take heed that you don't change your stance on the Scriptures. Take heed that you don't change what you preach when it comes to the Scriptures. He says, be on guard. I told you guys, there's been a lot of faithful gospel preachers, a lot of faithful Christians, and you know them too. They have completely flip-flopped and now they believe things that are totally in opposition to the Word of God. We've got to take heed that we don't do that. Timothy had to take heed that he did not do that. He said if you'll do that, he said you'll save yourself and others. Again, notice that. Who's the number one person you want to get to heaven? If I ask anybody in this room, who's the number one person you want to get to heaven? Yourself. That's right. Because if I am not getting myself to heaven, and, and I, let's say I don't get myself to heaven, but I convert thousands of other people, what am I going to do, celebrate in hell? Boy, I'm glad they're up there enjoying it and I'm burning. I mean, seriously, think about that. Number one, you do these things to save yourself. And in doing so, you can save other people. You can bring them to the Lord. I appreciate your attention.